Hello, everybody. Um, this is an impromptu episode of Difficult Conversations that was brought about by the recent tragedy in Memphis that involved the vicious attack and subsequent death of Mr. Tyree Nichols. So I'd like to just begin with a, a quick moment of silence for Mr. Nichols. All right, so over the past few days, I've kind of tried to wrestle with this and uh, about what the best way to to address this is with those of you that um, that follow Supply the Why and, and have supported us. Uh, I figured the best way to do this instead of say, you know, maybe typing out a statement would be to make myself available. If people have questions, uh, comments, or concerns, um, I figured the best way to address it, the most courageous way to address this tragedy would be to um, make myself available um, for, you know, up to a half hour. So if we're here for 10 minutes, we're here for 10 minutes, 15, um, however long it takes for people to uh, to ask questions, to share their thoughts uh, on what took place. So let me first begin by saying this um, unequivocally, without any hesitation, that was one of the most heinous things that I've ever witnessed. It um, it didn't seem like there was any law enforcement purpose whatsoever in that encounter. And I'm going to sum it up um, quite simply like this: it was it was nothing more than than a game land beating. That's what that looked like to me. There was no professionalism. Um, there were very very little tactics, and the uh, the energy and intensity of those officers right off the bat um it just doesn't match up to uh any kind of traffic stop or anything that i've ever heard of uh with 18 years in this line of work so my heart goes out to the family of tyree nichols to the city of memphis uh to um to the good police officers in memphis that now have to pick up the pieces uh, that were left by these these five individuals. I will not call them police officers. I will not um, I will not refer to them as uh, anything other than individuals that have um, that have tarnished the badge to a point that is um, I don't I don't know I don't know how it, long it's going to take to rebound from the damage that was done um, by these five individuals. So I want to open it up. If anybody has any uh, any questions, if anybody wants to wants to add anything, uh, share their thoughts, uh, even vent about about uh, what happened. I am uh, I am more than willing to uh, to listen. So if you are on LinkedIn, uh, this is on my Supply the Why page. It is not on my personal page. Uh, we are on Facebook, both my uh, my personal and my Supply the Y page, and of course YouTube. So again, any uh, any thoughts, concerns, anything like that regarding this incident, please go ahead and throw them in the chat. All right, I will address one thing that came up earlier when I was having the discussion 
Um, one of the things that came up earlier is why why second degree um, murder as opposed as opposed to first degree murder. Uh, I would say the simplest way to look at it again through the lens of a police officer in Massachusetts is. Um, and the main differences between first first degree and second degree is first degree you have to to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that it was a uh, it was a plan. So uh, you would have to be able to prove that you know essentially that those individuals went to work and targeted um, Mr. Nichols and said this is what we're going to do to him uh, if if we encounter him and that would be a that would be a, uh, difficult burden to prove at this point based on what's come out so far. Um, I don't know if there's more to it. I don't know if there is a, uh, a personal element in this. Um, I mean, something as horrific and as inhumane as that was looked like there was a personal element to it. So uh, I don't know. I'll be standing by to stand by to see if anything comes from that. Um, so we have a couple people in the chat. So Mike wants to know uh, what are the things that I feel may have prevented or mitigated the situation, uh, be it culture, supervision, etc. Um, Mike, I think I think that it is a um, it's a mishmash of things. It's, it, it 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 can be several different things. You have to believe based on again the uh, the intensity and that those offices brought to that situation right off the bat that um, I, I wonder what kind of supervision they had. If anybody that was in, in charge of these individuals uh, knew how they were operating on the street. Um, you know, let's, I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. I mean, it's a dangerous job. Um, they were charged with uh, dealing with, um, you know, violent street crimes, things like that. And we all, anybody who's had any time on knows that um, there's a time for intensity and, and, and everything, but uh, that was certainly not the time um, based on, on what, what I've seen in the videos and, and, and everything that's been reported. So I would say that supervision uh, was certainly an issue and I'm not sure what, what sort of culture was, was promoted uh, within that unit. Um, as far as, you know, what type of intensity was, was encouraged or tolerated, but it, um, it, it was certainly, um, well beyond the control of anything that I would have, um, tolerated or liked to see. So I, so I hope that answers the question. All right. Kaisha, um, Hey Dean, thanks for doing this. I'm so disgusted by this incident. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um. I'm numb. I'm, I'm, I'm hurt on a lot of different levels. So if I could talk a little bit about some of the different levels that I'm hurt on. So the obvious one is as a police officer, um, I'm hurt because we go to work every day and, and we're guided by our moral compass and we're, we're trying to do the right things in this line of work. And um, the unfortunate part about this job is, you know, I, I live and work hundreds of miles away from Memphis and um and yet people that I've known my whole life and people that are uh, that have never even been to Memphis are going to hold inevitably going to hold me and, and other pe police officers in Massachusetts accountable for something that clearly we didn't have any control over and um, has has nothing to do with how we police um, in this part of the country. But it's, it's just the way things go uh, when incidents like this happen. I am disgusted as a man of color. 
Uh, I have to believe I'm going to address the elephant in the room. I stayed in law enforcement because I saw that there was a need for, um, for advocacy in the black community. There was a need for, for procedural justice and fairness. Uh, before I was a police officer, I've, I've spoken about it. If you've watched any of my other content, I probably spoke about some of the incidents that happened to me um, that were negative, negative police interactions when I was young, where I was uh, clearly targeted and um, clearly treated differently than some of my um, some of my white counterparts that I was with at the time. And um, and I certainly had a lot of positive interactions as well. But I knew that by if I needed to if, if, if I wanted a change in the culture, that I had to be part of that change. And um, I've dedicated 18 years of my life to um, contributing to that change. So um, I feel betrayed on that front. I feel betrayed as a um, as, as a father. Uh, I, I think that I have to believe that at, that some of those individuals had had to be fathers, and um, to think that you could act in that manner to somebody else's child to, based on somebody being what I would consider to be mildly um, uncooperative. I mean, that was nothing exceptional, nothing that that most police officers haven't dealt with hundreds of times over and um and again to take it to that level is um is, is is crazy so um so yeah i'm 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 feeling a bunch of different things from a bunch of different ways um mike says i feel as though the culture of that unit made that behavior encouraged i would say right on to that i mean clearly that was not the first time that they um that they brought that type of energy and intensity to um to a call so i i think that that um that clearly had something to do with it. And um, that goes back to what you also brought up to that supervisory piece. You, you wonder what kind of supervision that unit had. All right. So Deb says, I couldn't have expressed my feelings for this any better than you did. It was a disgusting act that never should have happened. Yeah, um, right on, Deb. It, it definitely shouldn't have happened. Um, I'm sure that people that somebody's watching though you might not put it in the chat, you might not ask, but we have to ask about what could have been done to prevent that. And um, and the answer is I'm not sure. You know, I've worked for several different police departments and all have extensive background checks and, and you have psychological exams. I've worked for a department that even went as far as the polygraph and still um, you still have people in each one of these departments that clearly haven't done anything to this degree, but you have people that... Um, that don't always live up to the promise that we that we make when we accept a job and when we take our oath. And I'm not sure what kind of testing, what kind of um, things can be put into place to uh, truly measure what's in the heart of a human being. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's in place to do that, but I know that um, we, you know, we have to keep trying. We got to, we got to keep doing more to. Uh, try to try to you know maybe some early intervention type stuff when we know that an officer is heading down this path and we can head them off and if it's retraining that'll work then we do retraining um if retraining happens and it, and it continues then we need to, we need to separate these people from service and we need to do it quick and we need to do it clean all right so Kaisha's back she says gosh I can't agree with it more it feels like a betrayal on so many fronts um hundred percent um, and if you feel up to it, Kaisha, if you could, you know, if you could just maybe put 
uh, a way or two that you feel betrayed in the chat, I will uh, I will certainly put that out there if you feel comfortable doing that. Mike uh, says it is rumored that many, if not all, the offices were hired differently outside of the traditional ways. So um, that brings up um, problems on a lot of different fronts, mainly from a liability standpoint uh, for for an agency if um, you don't have standards that apply to everybody during your hiring processes. Um, it has to be as similar as possible. Again, it's like anything else. People, you know, people like snowflakes, not, not, there's no two that are alike, but, um, but the general bones and structure of the hiring process, um, it has to be consistent. So people can't call, uh, can't call you into question because again, 99% of the time, it's probably going to work out just fine. But then you have an incident like this, and um, and people are going to be pulling at the strings of every little step that led to those individuals um, having police powers. So um, we'll see how that all plays out. All right, Kaisha says, do I think that the crime suppression units are inherently problematic? There's a need to target crime but I have seen too many instances where these units become fringe. That's a good question. Um, again, this is one of those things, Kaisha, where I think a lot of different things can be right at the same time. Um, I, I, I've spent time in, in, in specialized patrol units like this, where you were, um, where we were charged with, with, uh, with, with addressing crimes that required, um, Maybe a different kind of police officer, where where you're dealing with people that uh that commit crime with a with a higher level of intensity um, and a higher level of danger, and you and you can't. I mean, if we're being honest, you can't just put any old cop out there to deal with that. But we also were supervised, and we also had people to answer to, and we were trained, and we we had to explain ourselves, and 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 there were there were things in place. Um, to keep things from really ever getting to this point. And again, nothing's perfect, but um, it's hard to get to that point when there are checks and balances in place and, um, and you, have super, you have strong and proper supervision. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know if it means that all of um, anti-crime type units should be, should be disbanded. I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that because again, this is um this is one instance in one city. Uh, it, this isn't something that that seems to be happening widespread across the country. But um, but I'm open to the discussion on it if people feel another way. All right, Jackie says almost any other profession would be immediately terminated at the first time they showed force. I would lose my state license as a mental health professional and would be able. It would never be able to be a helper again. We can't let brotherhood or unions keep bad apples employed. I I agree with you, uh, uh, Jackie, to some degree, but we also have to keep in mind that this is a different job. I mean, police officers, we are charged with dealing with the problems in society that other people can't or are are ill-equipped to deal with. And sometimes dealing with those problems involves the use of of intensity and, and, and force. But it has to be controlled, it has to be measured, and it has to be balanced. And there was none of that in these videos. 
none of that whatsoever. And and, and again, I'm I'm you know I'm a, I'm a defensive tactics instructor, and I've been doing that for quite some time. And part of the reason why I decided to do that because I thought I was passionate about making sure that when force has to be used, and it, it, there's just no other way that it needed to be done correctly, it needed to be done um, fairly, and it and again, it needed to be when it was over, it needed to be ended right as soon as the uh, situation was in control. And that situation was out of control from the beginning. And it was out of control because the officers, the individuals were were out of control. So, um, so yeah, so good point there. All right. Mike says, great point, Kaisha. However, I strongly feel that specialized units are useful, but they must be staffed with strong leadership. Uh, Good point, Mike. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate you for um, checking us out. All right, Jackie's back. She says, and we have to help. We have to help the helpers. You all see horrific things, rotating partners and positions and having mindfulness and self-care options woven in and not just sent to talk to someone when something is really bad. So, um, so Jackie, I think, again, like as a police leader, um, I'm certainly open to have this that conversation because there is no perfect solution. Um, everybody handles the traumas that we see differently. Some people internalize. Some people um, they do they 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 have good and healthy coping mechanisms. They you know maybe they involve their significant others. Um, there's many different ways they exercise. They do whatever it is they need to do to be able to handle these things. And um, maybe maybe looking at mental health um, differently and and making sure that there's more regular check ins whether there's trauma or not. Maybe maybe there's something to that. Um, but, um, again, there's no perfect solution. And I, I think that, um, there's going to be a lot of leaders, police leaders across the country that are going to be open to having, uh, to having this discussion about what different ways we can, uh, we can put in place in order to prevent some of this stuff. All right. Kaisha, let's talk about the swift action by the police and, and how, all right, looks like that got, I'm assuming and how quickly, um, that police chief reacts. Yeah. Um, kudos to that chief um, for, you know, she did a wonderful job of, of coming right out, denouncing the actions and taking swift actions to, um, to make sure those individuals were, um, were, were stripped of their powers and, 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 and taken off the job. Um, that takes, I don't think people realize that's not as easy as people think when you're dealing with unions, when you are dealing with, um, with different levels of due process, but, um, I think in this case, it was, you know, the evidence was so compelling that, um, that I think that, you know, I, I support what that chief did hundred percent. And, uh, and, and, and again, I admire her courage and her, um, and, and her drive to go ahead and get that done. So good point. All right. John Hamelberg, all they had to do was cuff him. Agreed. You know, I, I mean, we're talking five, five trained uh, police officers at the time against one uh, individual that, I mean, he was slight. There was nothing um, exceptional physically about about uh, Mr. Nichols. Where um, five, you know, decent-sized law enforcement officers with with time on, and I have to believe if they're in the specialty unit, they've probably gotten some advanced training. Should have been able to um, should have been able to take him into custody, even if he was fighting um, hard, which he most certainly was not doing. So I don't understand. Um, why it needed to go to the level it did unless there was something more to it. Deb says, how how does the departmental deal 
of the department deal with the officers uh, left to handle the trickadon effect. Um, I think you deal with it by saying, I think you have to do what we're doing here. We got to have the discussion. And um, that chief, I'm sure, is having discussions with um, with with all different levels of her staff. And I think that the good police officers and good middle level supervisors need to make sure that the message is one across the the, um, the agency, whereas that swift action taken by the chief was in the best action of all those people that are left to um, deal with the aftermath. And I think that that is, is the message going forward. Like, listen, we don't tolerate this. This is why we acted so swiftly. And oh, by the way, if anybody else acts this way, you're going to be done the same way. And I think that that is, um, that's a great start. And I think that um, the people that, again, that, that, that do the job the right way, that do the job with morality and humanity will appreciate that. All right. Neil says these special units are a direct result and answer to the to community's needs. Dean is right. With proper supervision and following policies, they are effective. Yeah, I believe in most cases they are. Um, but again, there's always that opportunity. There's always that one person. It's a human factor, right? We can't measure what's in what's in a person's heart where somebody um, maybe takes a little bit of that power or that extra um, specialized whatever you want to call it that they're given latitude that they're given and they and they um they go off the rails with it but um again i think it starts with effective uh supervision all right all right so kaisha says you asked how i felt betrayed by this incident you alluded to it being a black police officer i've stayed for the sake of being that too often needed check and balance their actions sought to discredit the additional burden and responsibility of being black and blue. That is, um, that's right on. So um, I'm going to address what I'm going to say here to, um, to my white friends, my white, my white police officers, brothers and sisters that I've worked with people that I've connected with over the years. Um, there is a little bit of a different burden being a, um, being a person of color, then I see some of my some of my white counterparts having to deal with in that um, typically when you are a black police officer, um, you don't typically get the same support that a lot of uh, other people get. I know that when I first got in this line of work, um, I know that my parents were concerned. I know that um, this was not something that they really they, that they that they wanted for me for a number of different reasons. And that and part of that is this a built all right, bye, son. I love you. Um, there's a built, deep, built-in distrust of police in the black community, and then you have events like this happen, and you understand, and you can understand why. I mean, even myself, growing up, I've talked about how I grew up in, and I was in a, I was a teenager when Rodney King happened, and I had that same mistrust in law enforcement, and that's what why I didn't get into law enforcement until I was in my late twenties because I was so hell sent. I was so hell bent against um, being being part of law enforcement that I couldn't see the forest through the trees. And incidents like this, all it does is compound um, that feeling and that feeling of distrust. And I think it probably even makes it worse because the uh, the individuals that perpetrated this heinous crime were also black. So I think it um, this is hurtful on so many different levels that it's um, it's hard to quantify. What else do we got? Any anybody else have anything? 
And again, I, I apologize. This isn't, um, you know, I purposely, I didn't do my normal setup. Um, I wasn't in the, in my, my little makeshift studio like I normally am. I wanted this to be, um, I'm in my living room, like how I started with Supply the Y many, a few years back. Um, you know, this is a Sunday and I'm usually just spending time with my, uh, with my family and trying to recharge, but I felt it was important to, um, you know, put that on pause for a second to, uh, to speak to this and, and, and to do it in a way that I think is a little different than what a lot of folks are seeing uh, from law enforcement ac across the country. I didn't just want to write a statement. And again, no disrespect to anybody that did that. I just, I just didn't want to write a statement and not give people the opportunity to, uh, to be heard. I, I think that that's the most fair way uh, to do this. All right. So we have one more comment. All right. So Neil says there's definitely a bigger burden for black officers, the constant balance between profession and culture. Yeah, it's 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 a heavy balance. I think if you are um, doing it right, I think that a big part of being um, black and blue, we'll use that term that Kaisha used, is that you are there to advocate for people that can't always advocate for themselves. You're there to um, make sure that there's procedural justice wherever you can. Um, when sometimes. And again, I don't think it's always conscious, but sometimes if you haven't experienced this firsthand or if you um, haven't been touched by by the kind of pain of of being in, in a submissive position by somebody who holds power over you and maybe they've gone a little too far with that power, um, it's sometimes it's hard to understand. And, and there's certainly there's certainly there's certainly white people that have that have had that happen to them. This is not an exclusively um, an exclusive exclusive to the black community. It just um I think most people would agree it's, it just kind of seems to manifest itself a little bit more in the uh, black and brown communities than it does uh, with other with other folks. But again, it's, uh, it's definitely not excuse exclusive. I'm, I don't think I'd have to look very far to find um, people of different races uh, that have that have also had things like this happen or abuses of power have happened. Anything else? All right. Well, folks, I just want to thank um, those of you that decided to jump on and share your thoughts. Um, I appreciate you. I hope that you found this helpful um, for people that may might not have been able to or, or might not have been ready um, to have this discussion. Please feel free to share this. Um, anybody that's ever reached out to me knows I'm, uh, I'm as accessible as my schedule allows me to be. And I'm more than willing to have these conversations with people um, and uh allow people the, the, the freedom to ask questions in, in, in a safe space and know that even if you ask something that you might feel might be a little offensive um, towards law enforcement or, or towards me as, as a man of color, um, that I'm willing to have the conversation with you. Um, if we, as, you know, as long as we can keep it in a somewhat respectful, um, respectful level, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to have the conversation because it's the only way we're gonna heal from this. It's the only way we're gonna be able to move on from this. And, uh, and as much as I hate to say this, it's the only way we're going to learn from this horrible tragedy because we do need this clearly more that has to be learned um, about uh, about being being humane on the job and, and, and being fair on the job and just uh, and just being just being a professional. All right. Well, folks, thanks again. Um, Deb, thank you for um, I, I appreciate you uh, joining in. And Mike, as always, I appreciate your um 
I appreciate your support. Uh, tomorrow night, we're going to be live. We're going to be back with our live shows. We have Mosh, Mosh Cohen, Moshe Cohen coming on, and he's going to be talking about negotiation strategies and, uh, and ways that you can have the difficult conversations of trying to get more money uh, in your position and for uh, embarking in conversations that uh, people tend to shy away from. So see you tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. Take care. Hashtag Supply the Y.